Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back in. It's a Friday edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another snowy morning here in Happy Valley. We've had several of them as we've recorded this podcast throughout the winter. Sean Fitz. Uh, I'm assuming fresh off shoveling some snow himself. Tyler Donahue here uh, utilizing the newly acquired HOA. Uh, how are we doing, Sean? We're doing well. We just uh, we planned this episode out with uh, with the expectation that I might have my kids home again. And as you saw earlier this week, it's kind of crazy at times. And uh, so Tyler took on the brunt of this one, got Bud Elliott to join us from 24-7 Sports. Bud's fantastic. I know we've had him on. I think we've had him on before. We talk to him all the time uh, at 24-7 Sports uh, leading the podcast initiative. But uh, yeah, he's he's great. He provides perspective. Did Barton and Bud does the, you know, all these different podcasts where, you know, he's uh, he, he's not one to mince words he's he's pretty great about what he uh he knows what he's talking about he's very well connected and he's uh yeah he'll he'll tell you if you're good tell you if you're bad and tell you everything in between big fan of bud that predates his time at 24 7 sports a lot of great conversations in the past decade or so with him in this industry and we get into it for a while here later on the episode certainly talk about penn state his take on the offensive coordinator change kind of where he is with the Penn State brand coming out of a very strange 2020 season. Uh, additionally, a little bit on Sean Clifford, a little bit on quarterback play, and also a lot on some big picture college football stuff. I thought it was the perfect time to bring on Bud Elliott because, as we'll get to in a moment, uh, the dead period was indeed extended for recruiting in college football in into May and through May. Uh, what What is Bud's take on that? Where does this thing end? And also the transfer portal, programs like Penn State making that plunge and utilizing a lot more, signing smaller classes. Where is college football heading from a personnel standpoint? Bud's a great guy to get into it. The one thing I did not appreciate with Bud Elliott, Sean, was when he showed me uh, his phone and the weather at his location 85 degrees and sunny uh, on the west coast of Florida yesterday. So did not like that. Hey, great for him. That's all. That's great. <laughs> and, and if you're listening and you're struggling with weather, I hope everything goes okay. Uh, we hope have all of our listeners stay safe. I know it's not great in several areas. Um, but speaking of which, uh, we plan for my kids to be home. They're not home today. Just had a delay today. So we win. We get to do a podcast and it gets to be semi-quiet around here, I guess. Well, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same this winter because it feels like we've let off 75% of these podcast conversations with transfer portal news, whether it's a guy coming to Penn State or a player leaving Penn State. That's where we land here again. Zach Kuntz, fourth-year tight end, uh, redshirt sophomore eligibility, the latest to hit the transfer portal. He was a top-10 positional prospect back in the 2018 recruiting class. He was one of two top-10 prospects at tight end that Penn State signed that cycle, the other being Pat Fryermuth. Sean, if we were to assemble a list of most likely candidates to hit the portal by the end of the spring semester, Zach Kuntz would have been very high on that list. 
Absolutely. And this is one that, you know, you could look to and say, okay, the numbers are, are what they are at the position. You know, if Pat Fryermuth left early, so somebody's got a chance to get in there. But you look at what happened on the field this year. Brenton Strange stepped up in a big way. Big Brenton Strange fan over here. And then by the end of the season, it was Theo Johnson as, as the other guy. Um, Koontz got in there, a lot of special teams work and things like that, but it just, it never really came together. This is one where, you know, you looked at the, you know, him as a prospect. Okay. He's six, seven and a half. He can really really run receiver playing small school ball. It's going to take him some time to come around. Well, unfortunately he came in in the same class as Fryermuth and that kind of, you know, it not, I wouldn't say stunt your growth because I think Koontz has some talent and, you know, maybe he finds the right spot and get, can get out there and, and get the most out of it. But, if you're coming in with a guy like that, it's like the, you know, a running back that came in with Saquon or something like that, where you're just not going to get the ball. You're not going to get the opportunity. And if it takes you longer to develop while this guy beside you is ready to go from day one, as Pat Fryermuth was, that's not all that, uh, you know, it's, it's not an op- optimistic outlook for Zach Kuntz. So he comes in, um, plays on the scout team. We saw some good things on the scout team, mostly as a receiver, mostly as a guy that's going up and winning jump balls and things like that. And you always thought, okay, maybe that could be something you could do and throw him the fade instead of Parker Washington. But that's another story in itself. Um, but it just never really came together. You know, he's six, seven and a half. He's, I think, 258 is what he's listed at. He looks like he's 230. I mean, that's always been the story with Zach Kuntz is, you know, you, you always wanted to see if he could add weight. You always wanted to see if he could, you know, step up and maybe be a blocker because he's, he's a really strong kid. That's the thing. When you look at him, you see he's skinny and, you know, he, he probably, sh- you know, should be 270 pounds, looks 230, whatever, but really strong kid, really af- good athletic numbers, just never really came together on the field. Came to campus early, actually a few months ahead of Pat Fryermuth in January of, of 2018, uh, right around 220 pounds, maybe a little bit below that uh, when he got to campus. Really, you know, uh, when you're six foot seven and a half and we're talking about that kind of weight, you, you look like a stick figure. So you stand out when you're working out with all these uh, you know, seasoned veterans and guys who come in a little bit bigger than you. The good thing for, for Koontz, I thought, early on was that Nick Bowers got healthy, stayed healthy, and played a lot of football those first couple of years with Koontz on campus. There wasn't a rush to get him uh, accelerated to a point where he needed to hit the field, and he wasn't going to be ready or comfortable to be on the football field. That was good news for Penn State. I thought that was good news for Zach Koontz. And it was also the reason why when Nick Bowers goes off to the NFL in 2020 and Pat Fryermuth returns, you're thinking – Okay, this this is breakout territory here. It's year three for Koontz. He's pushing 260 pounds. He's also telling us in the media last summer that uh, despite that tremendous weight gain, he also is running as fast as he ever has. In, in the low 4.6 range was what he told us last July, Sean. So you think about all that. Is it, you know, are the pieces in place for, for a season where he's going to validate a lot of that recruiting stuff? We knew that Pat Fryermuth was the more, you know, the more immediate impact kind of prospect. And the story with Kuntz was give it two or three years, see what you've got when this kid is in his 20s. And it just did not come together. And, and the breakout was something that we wrote about and, and something that Kuntz was hoping for. And Tyler Bowen had said, maybe it's around the corner. But the bigger concern for Kuntz was what was coming up behind him, particularly with Brenton Strange, because you heard great things about Brenton Strange. And the writing on the wall for this eventual kind of result kind of surfaced last year coming out of preseason camp when you see Brent Strange solidly as the number two tight end. There was no or designation. And as the season wore on, there were some conspicuous absences for Zach Koontz in games. Um, you know, Franklin talked about having conversations 
with Zach Koontz during the season. Um, you just weren't sure if it was going to make that move. And all of a sudden, Theo Johnson's playing extensively. You have no Pat Fryermuth. Tyler Warren showing some things late in the year. And it just felt like maybe that ship has sailed for, for Breakout City. Yeah, it, it, I think it was a product of how well they've done at the tight end position. I mean, um, you know, I asked some people yesterday, wh- where do you think Koontz can land? And I wouldn't be surprised if he if he went to a big school, you know, if he went to a program, Power 5 program or a strong Power 5 program. Um, I know LSU is, has kicked the tires there where that's a situation where they've got one scholarship tight end. So it'd be more about the situation and trying to find somebody quality to come in there and, and, and get in there. But I wouldn't be surprised if he if he did land Power 5. Um, you know, he's got a I, – I assume he's wrapped up his his degree at the end of the semester um so he's you know been an academic all big 10 kid for two years um so yeah i mean it's a i I think there's talent there but it just never really came together probably never had the time to to come together with firemuth out there i remember talking to uh steve i mean i knew you and i were at this camp i think that's before you came on board when they actually offered will levis but Koontz was out there firemuth was out there and we just came away just thinking man uh, you know, the higher ranked kid is not the better kid in this, in this instance. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't make it all its way all the way up to the top, but that's kind of how it played out. And yeah, I think he's got some development left. I think he's got some tools, um, but I don't think he's that complete player. And I think that you saw that this year in, in terms of, of Brenton Strange moving ahead and, you know, solidly moving ahead. I mean, this wasn't a situation where, you know, we expected them last spring to battle it out for the backup job behind Fryermuth. There was no question when they went out there this year who the backup was. And that was strange. Johnson eventually came in there. Theo uh, Tyler Warren on the rise in that room as well. So I, I, it's like you said, it's it's one that you could see coming. It's it's an unfortunate product of of the situation that that we're in in, in big time college football, where you know a guy that's a, a quality uh, contributor to your program all around doesn't make the impact on the field. Now he's going to be looking elsewhere. And that's the guy. Always enjoyed talking to him as well. We got some chances in the last couple of years on campus, and one of the first questions would always be, "How many calories are you consuming each day?" How much peanut butter are you eating? And you know, it, it, you know, you knew he was trying to, to get himself in a physical spot where he could make that impact. But it's just such a compelling talent. I mean, Pat Frymuth, I think, was clearly the better college-ready tight end. There's no doubt about it, and that was proven over the course of the last three years. But when you watch Zach Koontz as a high school senior, I know it's 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 a, it's not a huge school powerhouse setting with with Camp Hill High School, but. You know, a thousand yards. I think he was at like twenty-five yards a catch at six foot seven. You just, you know, you're like, wow, this kid's galloping down the field, um, and, and and throwing the fact that he went and won the state hurdles championship. That was one of the more interesting things I think I, I've seen covering Penn State recruits was watching the the film of him going out and becoming a state hurdles champion at six foot seven. So you're thinking, what could this kid become? Maybe he becomes that. He's got three more years of eligibility. He's going to have suitors. Um, but with this tight end room right now and, and what they've got cooking, um, wasn't going to happen at Penn State apparently. And, and as this coincides with the start of winter workouts for Penn State, you just wonder what kind of conversations took place between Zach Koontz and the staff, Zach Koontz and his family, and really some internal conversations with himself that led to this decision. Well, I mean, he's a smart kid. He, he could see what was going on and, you know, see the opportunity that he has. Sure, he's going to go into grad school or something like that and, you know, be productive and, uh, or, or whatever. But I mean, it's, it, it, going back to what you said, 
before your last point, I remember that conversation with Steve is, hey, it, it, when we talk about ranking these guys, we're ranking for potential. And if, and if Coons hits at six, seven and a half and ran the way that he did and, you know, could eventually become a productive, really productive tight end, that's a top level. Those are top level measurements. And that's really what he was based off of. I think we said it when he was coming in. Friermuth, the immediate impact guy. Coons, the long term guy. He just didn't know that Friermuth was also the long term guy in, in addition to being the immediate impact guy. Well, what do we have now in the tight end room? It's a room that, that looks quite a bit different than it did uh, two months ago. Pat Fryermuth, one of the first to declare for the NFL draft out of Penn State's roster. He's getting ready for that. Zach Koontz moving on to another program. Tyler Bowen also off to the NFL. It's a, it's a much shorter room right now, yeah, without <laughs> Koontz and Bowen. <laughs> right. And Ty, Ty, Ty Howell now in charge of that position group. Khalil Dinkins will be joining the party in a few months as a freshman. And we talk about this with Bud Elliott, all these, you know, the impact of all these different freshmen of different forms. You got four freshman scholarship players from three different recruiting classes. The conversation starts with Brenton Strange. I really, really think Theo Johnson can go out there and do something special here in his second year on campus. And Quite frankly, I thought Tyler Warren was a bit ahead of where we maybe thought he could be in year number one playing tight end and doing so in the Big Ten. We'll start there. I think Tyler Warren's, you know, he's got to be more physical and learn to be physical. He's a high school quarterback, so that's natural. I mean, that's nothing that's it's not a knock on him or anything like that, but come out there, learn to play the position. That's what you do as a true freshman. He was able to get onto the field at the end of the year and and do some good things while he was out there. It's uh, it's one of those things I think Tyler Warren's a long-term like type of project, but you look what's ahead of him, and that's that's really interesting because I know you like to say, it. what, are they going to have four freshman-eligible guys next year and three of them are in different classes? So put that piece together. That's fun to, to, to four, sort of go with. Four freshman-eligible and one draft-eligible. How's that? Of course, of course, as as one does. Um, but you've got this this situation where I think Strange and and Johnson are you know two really really top level talents. And I know Pat Fryermuth is probably in a league by himself when you when you bring him back into the equation, which obviously is going to the NFL. But Brenton Strange starting as a redshirt freshman. I know there's some extenuating circumstances with injuries there, but really did a nice job. Really became sort of a safety blanket guy. But the the thing that I like about this group is. You threw Theo Johnson in there and he blocked. You don't get that from freshman tight end. He went in there, he blocked, he did a great job blocking. Brenton Strange did a very good job blocking. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they fit into this uh, offense because as we were saying last year, you know, you can spread things out and we had, there, we had many questions about where Penn State would be from a receiver group. You could spread things out with two tight ends. You can do that now, even without Fryermuth. You can, you can get Strange out there. You can get Johnson out there, run these guys around. Is it a traditional tight end set? I, I don't know how all that's going to look, but I think you can get these guys on the field at the same time. I think you're going to have to because these, these guys are really good, really good athletes and they can sort of, um, blend that line between receiver and tight end and give yourself a lot more options in the process. Theo Johnson is six foot six, pushing two sixty. He does not look two thirty, Sean. I mean, I think I think there were some photos that came out from the early winter conditioning, and that he was featured in. Different looking player than the prospect who showed up last January with a shoulder injury to deal with, and he did not have that spring practice. He wouldn't have had it anyways because of that injury. He's a guy that when I think about who can benefit from these fifteen spring practices, March April of twenty twenty one, one of those guys that's near the top of the list. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, uh, 
I, I don't know that we're, you know, forecasting a jump to superstardom or anything like that because, you know, you got one ball and obviously Jahan Dotson's going to come back and be the feature guy. Parker Washington's on the rise. You know, you've got some really, really good young skill talent, but Theo Johnson, in terms of, of being a prospect, being a pro prospect at that age, I mean, it's looking pretty clear like he can be, you know, an eventual draft pick and eventual pretty good draft pick. We do have some recruiting notes to get to. We do have Bud Elliott to get to. But before we step away from this conversation about the tight end room and about Zach Koontz, how wary should Penn State fans be? How wary should we be uh, about more portal exits between now and, and let's say even the start of spring camp? Because it doesn't feel like this roster is done sorting itself out quite yet. No, it, it won't be done sorting itself out. And, and you're, you're looking at right now what's going on with guys like Kuntz who, you know, will need that extra or that spring semester to finish up. Dixon did the same thing where you wait until they get back into, uh, into classes and then make that work and then make that jump to the portal and, and go with that. Now I see, you know, kind of a, a lull until spring ball after spring ball where you can kind of figure out which guys, um, you know, don't fit into the, the, the picture right now. So I don't really see a ton. I mean, you, you can look at the roster and come up with several names of, of guys that, you know, the writing may be in the wall as we, as we like to say so often. And, but, but I think it's more about spring. Then you take into account, uh, you know, the, where you're looking, uh, what's the, you know, the process to graduate, uh, where guys like Koontz want to get their degrees, where Levis wants to get, you know, out, out and about. So I think that that plays into it. So, I, I mean, I, I don't really see a ton, but if you look at the roster, there's certainly guys that, you know, sort of fit that bill. And surprise, surprise, the, the five-star mailbag does get into a little bit of transfer portal conversation, which is a high percentage chance at this point with our mailbag questions. Uh, we'll get to that in a second as well. But some recruiting stuff, as mentioned at the top of the show, as anticipated in our previous episode, and as we'll cover extensively in a moment with Bud Elliott, the NCAA has extended the dead period for recruiting through May Initially, that was looking like, well, initially, we're talking about last March, but most recently, that deadline was 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 uh, April 15th that we were kind of circling and wondering how they were going to deal with it. Now, we're looking toward June as a possible uh, opening for these visits, for these face-to-face uh, communications. This makes our job difficult, but talk about trying to recruit guys to a campus and talk about trying to make an educated decision as a high school junior and the parents of a high school junior, um, man, we're talking about 14 months here, Sean. Yeah, and it's tough because you take into account what you try to do coming out of that. And, you know, when you come out of it in the middle of April, you can still, you know, you can get those end of the school year trips and things like that. And eventually you get into camps and, and stuff. But what you're going to see is guys in the 2022 class will want to take official visits and they think they're up there on the board where they they fit into that tier of, of hey, I can get an official visit here. And you're going to see some schools that are just like, well, why don't you kind of hold off now? And that's going to be a train wreck in itself because you've got guys that that think, you know, there's going to be some, some crazy conversations about guys that think they're high on the board and all of a sudden they find out they're 12th on the board and, you know, you can't host them for an official visit because it just doesn't make sense. You, you want to use those official visits wisely if they're indeed coming across. So that's that's a recipe for disaster. It's, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, it's not uh, it's not a, a situation that sets up well for the uh, the prospects, the student athletes, and that's uh, it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting because we, we talk about 
you know, the, the, the mad rush to get out to see campuses and things like that. Well, some of these guys, you know, you take the Florida guys, for example, that want to come see Penn State, they're probably not going to do that unofficially, especially, you know, in this time where travel is going to be limited and travel is going to be closely watched and, and things like that. Now, all of a sudden, you don't know that Penn State is going to be able to host, you know, uh, 10, 12 guys from Florida. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how this is going to play out. It's, it's not going to be helpful for these guys making decisions. And, you know, I was talking, I think to Nick Evers, uh, the quarterback from Texas last week, talking about locking in spots. And that's something we're going to see, I think, across the college football landscape, especially, you know, it's, it's another six weeks. So not that huge in the grand scheme of things, considering it's been, uh, you know, about a year since anyone was, has been on campus. But at the same time, uh, you might see a mad rush of guys to, to grab spots and then just all of a sudden turn around and not open their recruitment, but continue to check out schools, go out and see other schools. So, uh, like I said, this cycle, not going to be one for the faint of heart, uh, strong stomach to, to get through this. We talked about this with Caden Saunders last week, and it's going to be a, a situation that, that, that runs throughout the pro or runs throughout the cycle as, as a theme of the process. And last year, when that spring window was shut down by the NCAA, remember what we saw across college football, remember what we saw here in Happy Valley, I think it was eight, nine commitments for Penn State in a two-week span or so, and, and that really ended up being the foundation of the 2021 recruiting class for the Nittany Lions. We'll see, because locking down spots sounds good in theory until you realize that your spot isn't as lockable as you had anticipated. you got to have some serious transparency between the coaching staffs and the players. Otherwise, you work your way towards signing day and, and headed for derailment in some of these commitments and some of these decisions. And uh, yeah, a, a lot to juggle. We'll talk about that in a bit with Bud Elliott. It's certainly something that's going to be on our plate covering Penn State recruiting now uh, moving forward. I'm still hoping that there can be some kind of restructuring, Sean, of the, of the summer recruiting calendar. What that does for you as a coaching staff is really puts you in a bind and preparing for the actual season that is lying ahead because preseason camp is right around the corner. But you've got to find a way to, to fit this in if the NCAA says, okay, you've got June and July to use and, and here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. I know, you, I know you're worried about your own team, but you've got to capitalize on that moment from a recruiting perspective. Yeah, and I think the the summer dead period is is pretty much all but gone. I mean, you, it, it's going to have to be if that's if that's the route that you take. But uh, you get into you know you get into late July and August, and number one, that's vacation time. And I know you know everybody's going to say, okay, well they, these guys have been quote unquote off from hosting visits for so long. And these guys still need vacation. Um, everybody needs vacation. Uh, so I mean, I think that's going to play into it. And then you get into August, and you're talking about full bore prep. And you know, I'm not sure how it's going to look in terms of what we saw, you know, in a normal season versus what we saw this year in terms of uh, COVID prep and obviously separating your team from the entire campus and, and being in your own bubble, because that's not a, a very easy thing to do. So there's a lot of things that are going to have to go on at both ends of this. You're talking about the number one, the NCAA and the school presidents trying to, you know, avoid any sort of uh, potential legal ramifications that they can. On the other end, you've got, uh, you know, schools that, that want to host prospects that want to do it safely, but also want to prepare for they, their, um, their season and, and just set their program up. So it's going to all come crashing down in, in the middle somewhere. And I'm not sure it's the, it's the best thing for, for either side, really. 
a 24-7 sports uh, national analyst, Bud Elliott, has plenty to say on this topic as well. You'll hear from him in just a few minutes. Um, there was a lot of crystal ball action on 24-7 sports this week, Sean, and um, <laughs> <laughs> that included a five-star projection for Penn State, but this one, as our message board quickly learned, comes with a lot of caveats. Well, it's crystal ball day on Wednesday, which was... Uh a uh, fun, fun day on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, ben, Don, Brian Doan led the way with, uh, with the earth shakers here with a uh, crystal ball for Gunnar Givens, the offensive lineman from Virginia. Um, and that's, uh, the, I think that's one that, you know, you, you mentioned there's caveats to it. And this is obviously one that's, that still has a lot of moving parts, but Clemson seemed like the far and away leader and doesn't seem like Clemson's ready to take, uh, Gunnar Givens. So you take a look at his list and you've got Virginia Tech, which is always going to be, you know, involved with these, these central Virginia kids and uh, North Carolina's down there. Penn State's there, but Penn State's been on him for a long time. Really likes Phil Troutwine. Uh, really wants to play on the defensive line. So I'm not sure how that changes all kinds of things uh, for him. Um, but it's uh, it's a situation where. Um, you know, I think Penn State has been on him constantly throughout, and they, they've been one of the schools that he's been wanting to get to for a long time. I, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. And by the way, he's he's got a five-star composite ranking. We have him as a four-star at 24-7 sports. I, I don't see that one staying up there too long, and, and that's probably going to be a product of the cycle where you're going to see that with some guys this cycle where we thought, you know, things – look different a year ago when we ranked them or six months ago when we ranked them and all of a sudden might not be the case now their season is starting up in virginia this week and and hopefully those guys um, down in virginia that need the exposure and need the to, to have that junior season or senior season even or sophomore season um get what they need to get and but uh yeah this is this is one i wouldn't latch onto that five-star ranking uh if if i'm following gunner givens here Spring football. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting to see that play out in a lot of different states. I'm very curious if if some seniors and, and they will, there's just it's going to happen. Seniors are gonna come out of nowhere on strong and look like power five prospects and power five staffs are gonna have to react accordingly after they have seemingly put a bow on their recruiting class. I'm I'm curious how this spring football stuff plays out. By the way, in celebration of uh of Crystal Ball Day at twenty four seven sports, I put one in for Danny Dennis Sutton following suit with Sean Fitz with Brian Doan, uh, who did that back in January. Um, he's the defensive end out of McDonough School down in Maryland. And I'm uh, going to correct you every time. It's deny because deny. I, I feel like Penn State's in a great spot. So we got to get that going. Hopefully, uh, you know, if it does come to if it comes to fruition, where, how we think it does. I hope hope we're talking about him a lot in the future. Deny, deny, deny. Got it. Okay. And by the way, Sean kind of went through uh, some some where guys stand in the Crystal Ball with 24 seven sports. By the way, great idea from you, Sean, on the Crystal Ball day, and I'm glad we were able to to capitalize on it. I'm glad I could get it done a day later. That's, uh, that's kind of how we worked, th- we worked through that thing. But no, plenty of movement there. I think Steve Lorenz put in a, a Dennis Sutton crystal ball. And, uh, no, I do encourage you to check that out, uh, going through sort of player by player. And, and the crystal ball is a funny thing because, you know, it's sometimes the pulse of things. It's sometimes here's what's going to happen. And sometimes it's just like, Oh, we're pulling a 180. Here we go. So that's kind of how it's, uh, how it's set up to be. And it's, it's going to, like I said, this cycle is not going to be for the faint of heart to follow it. This cycle is, is really not going to be for the faint of heart to, to crystal ball it. 
All right, moving on from the 2022 Cyclone Crystal Ball Day, a couple new offers out in the 2024 class, which you can catch some coverage on these guys on lines 24-7 this weekend. Uh, Tizier Denmark out of Roman Catholic and Emilio Agard out of St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Uh, both picking up offers. Agard uh, uh, projected to play cornerback. That's where he sees himself. Uh, Denmark sees himself wide receiver, defensive back, kind of that athlete mold. They're both essentially athletes when it's this early in the process. Both are freshmen right now in Philadelphia. Sean, this continues a more aggressive approach, I would say. These in-state offers, there's been a slow trickle in certain cycles, and all cycles are not created equally from a talent perspective. We understand that. But to me, I kind of circle back to what we heard from Andy Frank, um, Director of Personnel for, for Penn State, back in December about needing to be a bit more proactive with guys in the state when you get a sense for what they can be early on, kind of jumping out at that opportunity, making sure you're not falling too far to the back of the line with some of these quote-unquote local guys, as local as Philadelphia can be to, to state college. Yeah, that, that, that's true. And I think that I, I don't want to say the offer is devalued right now, but you're trying to get in and trying to get your name in there and basically, you know, step up into the queue and, and, and try and get, uh, try, try and wedge yourself in there in front of some other schools. I mean, you talk about Emilio Agard from St. Joe's Prep, a 2024 kid. Uh, Penn State called him to offer last week and, you know, didn't really hear back from him until Saturday. And by that time, Temple and LSU had, had already offered. So, um, that's, uh, just an interesting interesting sort of thing how these things I mean these are high school freshmen so I mean let's let's be honest I don't call you back when you call me and I'm 36 years old um, so a high school freshman not calling back is, is certainly not the end of the world um, but it's it's really just a, a product of the times we, I, I'm sure a lot of you saw the the tweet last week uh, it was a Tom Diener or Blair Sanderson one of the, uh, the the Iowa or the one of the Midwest rivals guys talking about how many offers are out in the big 10. It's pretty meaningless right now. I mean, regardless, I mean, if you're, it's one thing if you're Clemson and you only have, you know, you only put out 70 to 90 offers a year, but everybody else is just carpet bombing the country in a way to get in there, in a way to sort of get in front of them and get your attention. And a lot of these are just like, hey, come check us out, come see us on campus. And that's, you know, sort of what denotes an offer to these guys someday. And, and you know, it's no use belly aching about it. It's no use, you know, talking about how it means less or anything like that. It's kind of the process right now is, is you can't get in front of these kids. Well, you might as well just get on their mind by making them think that, the, that making them feel wanted. And it's not like you've seen them play in person at the high school level when we're talking about kids this young. Uh, Penn State right around uh, um, 10 offers right now in that 2024 class. Let's take it a step further, Sean. 2025 eighth grader picking up an offer, DJ Pickett down in Carrollwood Day School uh, in the Tampa, Florida area. I, I caught up with him and his coach uh, as we were getting ready to record today. Look, he says he's got a two offer, a two sport offer on the table from Penn State before his freshman year of high school, baseball and football. Upon a little bit more background research, his uncle is Ryan Pickett, a former first round pick in the NFL, who played defensive tackle in the league for several years. His cousin is Andrew McCutcheon, longtime MLB standout. So, look, there's a lot to like about this, but wow, 2025, the future is now. That's uh. 
Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we were talking earlier and you said you, you, you're from the same or you went to the same uh, elementary school as him. And it's funny because he's pretty much still in that elementary school. So, uh, 2025, hey, man, if you're, if you're an athlete at that age and you're getting an offer that says something, I mean, all those guys don't pan out. But if you're on that, uh, on that list right now, probably pretty special. I, I'm not going to lie and tell you I know anything about the kid. I have not watched eighth grade highlights for anybody really. Um, and I, I think that's probably, probably the best practice from from my angle but uh hey good for him man yeah he's he is closer to elementary school than he is to college so there's a a while to go but an early name to know and there will be a story up uh i'll probably be putting that one together uh friday into saturday so so check that out it's always interesting to hear how the heck an eighth grader is landing these kind of offers lsu also offered the kid in the past 48 hours so Something to monitor there, uh, but we got a long time to monitor that one. Let's jump into our five-star mailbag, Sean. We'll do that ahead of the Bud Elliott interview. Um, and this is one that, that that brings in a couple different storylines and a major curveball. And, oh, pun intended on that one. Listen to this. That's terrible. <laughs> I didn't mean it, but it, it worked out that way. What are Penn State's options if they don't land a transfer portal quarterback? Assuming he makes it to campus in the summer – any chance we see Lonnie White get some reps at quarterback in fall camp to provide some depth and competition behind Sean Clifford while we look for two quarterbacks in the 2022 recruiting cycle? Little backstory here. Lonnie White played quarterback at Malvern Prep, played all over the place. Some some FBS schools liked him as a potential quarterback with that skill set. A lot liked him at defensive back, a lot liked him at wide receiver, which is where we have him pegged at Penn State and as a four-star prospect in 24-7 sports rankings. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean – I get where you're coming from here. Lonnie White's a quarterback the same way that Tyler Warren's a quarterback. I mean, those guys are not Division One FBS quarterback. Now, Lonnie White, I could see being a, a wildcat guy, you know, a guy that you put back there just like, uh, uh, what was it, Lynn Bowden at, at Kentucky a couple years ago where, you know, you just in, in an emergency situation. But Penn State's options are, are there. I mean, you know, if you don't land a, tra- a transfer quarter, uh, excuse me, a transfer portal quarterback in this class you got to roll with with Clifford Roberson and and Christian Veyu who you know they seem pretty high on pretty early but still that's a that's dangerously thin you've got some walk-ons there but Lonnie White's not not going to be the answer and to take his reps away at receiver to get him a quarterback I, I don't see that happening would like I said I would liken that to to being what they would do with Tyler Warren which is isn't happening obviously yeah I, I and I don't see that being the strongest of sales pitches to to sway this kid away from professional baseball if he's serious going to consider that in the summer I think wide receiver you say hey come here get look what we just did with two true freshmen particularly Parker Washington if you're up for the task the opportunity is available for you to go make some noise right away at that position right now working with Taylor Stubblefield um, so I think I think that's the path you put Lonnie White on right away as far as the quarterback you do need a scout team quarterback right and I, and I guess at this point you're probably looking at Evan Clark uh, maybe the, the the athletic walk-on coming in from Mannheim Township, a kid who's going to be in the Big 33 game that was announced this week. Um, it's a good point because you do need someone who's going to be out there challenging your starting defense and, and be able to emulate some of the athletic skill sets you're going to come across on a weekly basis uh, playing out this 2021 schedule. But yeah, I mean, if there's no transfer quarterback, it's the guys that we discussed at length not too long ago after the Levis transfer. We got to find out what they have at Taquan Roberson. Got to see how... 
potentially ready Christian Veyu may be, uh, considering he's coming off of a year in which he did not play football. That's a major question mark. I think he's a physical talent, uh, but but a lot of questions about his ability to go play live action football at this level coming off of a gap year like that. So um, we'll see. We'll see. And and the the time to add a transfer quarterback, uh, Sean, it, it would it would be dwindling. And I, I've said for a long time to do it after the spring practice session, assuming they have the spring practice session. That's really that's really puts you in a crunch. That really puts you in a crunch to to. to have a guy who's going to come in and, and really push Sean Clifford. It's possible, but it's to me, it's going to have to be someone who's already played pretty extensively at the Power Five level. Oh, and you mentioned Evan Clark, but also Mason Stahl on the roster right now from uh, from Baldwin out around Pittsburgh uh, was a red. I call him a redshirt right. guy, but he was a freshman this year. I've been caught up with that a couple of times now. Really, really, you know, an exceptional athlete at quarterback. So wouldn't be surprised if he's your scout team guy, which would give you the opportunity to bring Veyu up. And I know you know it's it's valuable to be a scout team quarterback uh, for a freshman for a scholarship freshman. Sometimes you're not going to have that uh, that opportunity at your disposal. So I could see Mason Stahl running things down there, Evan Clark being in there, maybe take a, a, a chance on another guy um, to, to bring him in. But yeah, that's why you see the transfer portal is, is pretty important. I mean, you you don't want to, you know, essentially throw out a guy that's, you know, Roberson's got what, one pass or, or no passes to his name. Um, and obviously, Veyu just just joined the program. So, I mean, it's a it's a kind of a dicey situation there. You'd love to bring someone um uh, about that that has some experience that can play right away. I mean, we've mentioned Tyler Shuck uh, on the on the boards, and that's been one that's been thrown out there many times. It was the the former starter at Oregon hit the portal? I think over the weekend or last week, and now all of a sudden he's a hot name for for several other programs. I think Penn State's monitoring him there, but uh, there's no there's no sure thing in the portal. And again, once we get after the spring, there's there's more. Uh, I think there's more to add to that. I think the transfer portal rankings on twenty four seven Sports are going to come out, and it's going to show you. Really, not a ton at, at quarterback that uh, that is gonna is gonna change your situation all that much right now. Well, we're gonna talk about the impact of that transfer portal here at Penn State across college football, what it means for recruiting approaches, what this extended dead period means for everybody, and also what is the perception around Penn State and James Franklin coming out of 2020. A lot of questions to be asked, and, and we'll ask them with Bud Elliott, national analyst with 24-7 Sports, coming just around the corner. First, a quick commercial break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's been way too long since we had Bud Elliott, 24-7 Sports National Analyst, on with us here at the Lions 24-7 Podcast. We changed that right now. It's a good spot in the offseason. There are some developments happening across the NCAA that we'll be able to pick Bud's brain a bit. But I think it was last April we had you on. Boy, has the college landscape changed in a big way since then. And, and thanks for spotting us some time here. I know you've got a jam-packed schedule going on yourself. Tyler, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back, dude. This, this is a, a great show. I mean, it's one of the ones I, I listen to every week. You guys do such an awesome job. And I mean, the, 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 the market leader by, by a mile in Penn State and only getting better. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. We appreciate the plug. Let's give you one, the Cover 3 podcast. I know we have a lot of crossover listeners from this to that. Uh, still going strong. Uh, I certainly encourage our listeners to go get some national perspective from the Cover 3 podcast. Bud's a part of that show. Uh, let's jump into it from a national perspective because I do have some Penn State storylines I want to get into a bit later. But the dead period has been extended through May Sean Fitz and I earlier this week shared some opinions on that when it looked like that's the direction it was heading. And I know you had some passionate comments and and initial responses I saw on social media. Can you share kind of the initial takeaway from this and where does this trend actually stop for the NCAA? When are they going to open the floodgates a bit or even just give some sort of a green light? Yeah, I don't know when it stops. Uh, I I put this in our our recruiting Slack. Maybe, maybe. Two three weeks ago, I, I said, "Hey guys, I, I heard kind of a disappointing comment here from one of my buddies who who's in administration at a, a good G five school, I'll say." And he said, "Hey man, like our president thinks that that they're going to extend this dead period, and uh, is kind of excited that we're going to be able to save a bunch of money, and like our coaches are going to be so bummed about this." And uh, at the time, nobody else was really hearing that. And then you know, three weeks later, the the boat comes down like it does and, and they they're gonna extend the dead period through May 31st. Uh, look, we have to say that the the ultimate reason of course is COVID, et cetera. Like we don't want to downplay that. It's a serious thing. It's maybe not a great idea to have people traveling all over the country, obviously. I, I don't want to downplay that. But there is also the element that you know about 90% of your D1 schools right now are are a little bit hurting for money. They're furloughing people. I mean even your your big time schools are you know, furloughing people, their offices right now may not be totally full. Some are still doing the work from home thing quite a bit, depending on what state you're in. And uh, this is a money saver, not to have coaches on the road, uh, not to have to do all the additional testing, not to have your offices staffed and, and have players come and be able to uh, to visit and host them, both uh, unofficial visits, but also an important thing uh, up you know, in Penn State land and, and you know, the, the more northern schools, the, the you don't have to pay for the official visits now in the spring, which I know a lot of schools had, had taken advantage of, certainly. So I, I think it's twofold. I, I think there's a, a lot of schools are perhaps justifiably scared to want to vote in favor of opening up visits for, for the COVID reasons um, and all the testing and stuff that comes along with that. The money is, is also a big deal. Most schools are not, you know, in Alabama or, you know, one of those that just basically has unlimited funds. That's where I want to go here with a school like in Alabama, with a school like a Penn State, with a school where you're spending big time money to to fund a football program, to keep your head coach on campus, to try to compete for national championships. And you're also driving the train for that financial situation at your university from a revenue standpoint. 
where's the counterbalance? Because you, you, we're talking about a huge group of FBS programs that this is impacting. I hesitate to say equally, but in terms of the grand scope of things, the, the dead period is a blanket thrown over all of them. What's the pushback from what you're hearing from high-level Power 5 leadership? Yeah, I, I think a lot of these schools are are willing to play it you know, pretty pretty low-key until the summer, at least. Uh, I, I do think that if you're a coach, when are you going to lean on your, on your administration the most? Is it, hey, I want to get out on the road and see these kids in spring ball at, at their high schools? I'm sure you'd love to do that. But the, the, the real thing that these coaches value the most, I think, is being able to get your hands on these kids and get them into your school's summer camp, right? Like that's, you, you've been in personnel, you know, you, you know what it's like. Like they, they always refer back to, hey, we had this kid in camp. I liked how he moved. I put him through the drills that I as a coach think is important. He did well in those drills or he kind of struggled in those drills. We got him on our tape, on our scale, right? Like, like the, these are our measurements on him. I, I really hope that it does open up for the summer. I, I think you'd see some pushback if, if it doesn't. I mean, assuming that the, the virus numbers continue to trend in, in a positive way. Um, they just, I think these schools need a little bit of cover as far as virus numbers to be able to say, hey, like, let's, let's open this thing back up. You mentioned the ability to see these guys w- with your own eyes, and and this is where you and I have had a lot of conversations on the sidelines of different camps all across the country in years past. And it, it, it's sometimes you get on that plane, you head back home with your notepad filled, and you have a very different perspective, positive or negative, of prospects who had a certain reputation before the camp. And that can get impacted one way or the other by how they handle pressure circumstances, what kind of athleticism do they show uh, when they're standing on the field among some of their top contemporaries? What kind of a challenge right now is every college football program facing when they're trying to seal the deal with these kids who are going to be seniors this fall, but you cannot have them in person on campus to evaluate them since about midway through their sophomore year. And if you want to talk about camps before their sophomore year. Is a huge challenge. I mean, we have had so many coaches hit us up. Hey, have you seen this kid in person? Do you have any? Do you have a good height weight on this guy? Like, like, like. And a lot of times, it's, hey, this is the last height and weight we have. Do you have anything updated? Have you heard of anything here? Have, have you eyeballed him? Like, have you actually seen this guy in person? I, mean, I just went to a seven on seven and got back and looked looked at our, our profiles on twenty four seven, and there were three four kids that said, all right, hey, he he was a safety the last time we saw him. Now he's a linebacker. Because he's growing, because they are teenagers, right? Everybody's bodies are are growing and developing. It's a huge issue. I think it's part of one of the reasons, you know, why some of these schools were a little bit hesitant to throw out as many scholarships in this past year, and will probably continue to be uh, if things don't open back up in in a timely fashion. Because they do have that sort of out of the transfer portal if they want to. They they are only going to offer the kids that they're they're either pretty certain about or they feel like are are worth you know the worth the downside of risk because the upside justifies it. That segues right to the next point I wanted to get into with you, bud. You wrote recently 400 fewer FBS signees than average in the 2021 recruiting class. That was a, a headline that immediately, uh, you know, I, I like had whiplash when I saw that and I had to click on it. I knew the numbers. A lot of people said this. You knew the number was going to be high when you see it and the way you laid it out. It's just it makes you wonder what is the ramification moving forward. Can you share some thoughts on what that means, not just this signing day, but how it's going to impact college football personnel plans and the ability for high school seniors to find a spot on FBS rosters in these years ahead? Yeah, so it's it's certainly a, 
jarring when you look at it. And I, I had asked Chad Carson, our, our data guy, 24 seven sports and database manager. I said, Hey, how many fewer kids signed FBS this year? And he's like, Oh, like 450. I was like, uh, that's, that's a huge drop off. Uh, a lot of it is the uncertainty. I, I wrote an article last spring and, and knowing the transfer portal was coming and, and immediate eligibility was expected to be passed. And um, I had a coach tell me, said, look, if, if, uh, if things don't open up, we're just going to take a lot more transfers than we normally would because, and the quote was, I thought it was a good one. He said, we, 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 you know, why would you make a four year mistake when you can go get a kid who, you know, his upside might not be quite what the high school kid is, but the floor is so much higher. Like he's been in the college weight program. He's been the, like, he's been in a college classroom. He knows how to eat. He knows how to work out. He knows how to show up on time. And um, the prospects are risky enough as it is. And everybody has to play this game. So it's not like any school's taking on risk more than another as far as taking high school kids for the most part. But the uncertainty of not having seen these guys in person, not having worked them out, in some cases, not having a senior season to evaluate really contributes to that. I, I'm interested to see how schools play this, though, because some school's going to benefit, right? Like some school's going to load up on high schoolers take that chance, they will have signed a lot of kids who maybe they normally wouldn't get. I mean, if we're talking about an average of, of three players fewer signed out of high school than normal, it just goes to say like some, some G5 school out there that had a full backing of its administration, it doesn't have the pressure to win immediately. They're going to load up on high schoolers. If they, if they hit on a couple of those, you know, that, that could lead to a championship in the MAC or the AAC or the Mountain West or something like that out there, or you know, maybe some P5 school uh, that who didn't go heavy transfer, we'll have the opportunity to do that. I think you also have the flip side where a lot of these schools said, hey, we know transfers don't usually turn into superstars, but the hit rate on them turning into decent starters is not bad. And if we have some holes we can plug, we can go out there and pursue that. And, and we saw a lot of schools saving in five, six, seven, in some cases, 10 spots for transfers or Texas State. They didn't sign anybody out of high school. They're, they're going entirely transfer this year. It's going to be fascinating. And next year, it might be even more of a crunch because of the COVID senior, the super seniors coming back without the uh, the cap relief that the NCAA gave this year, which we can get into that if you want. It, it's it's kind of mathy, but it's going to be a bigger crunch next year. Let's do it because anytime Sean and I can avoid doing math ourselves, we take advantage of those opportunities. And I know Sean goes nuts when I start throwing out terms like third year freshman, fourth year uh, <laughs> sophomore, fifth year junior, but that's really what we're going to be using that terminology now. And tight ends a prime example, you know, yesterday with, with Zach Kuntz announcing he's going to the transfer portal, Penn State has four freshman tight end, but you look a little bit further and they're in three different recruiting classes. So give us the math. So here's the deal. Uh, the NCAA said that everybody, but remember over the summer when prospects are like, or when players are like, I don't know if I want to play and waste a year of eligibility on what might be a real bastardized season. And uh, should I play? And the NCAA recognized this. He said, Ooh, man, we don't want our guys to sit out if we can help it. So everybody who plays this year, it does not count against your eligibility. If you were a freshman this year, you're still a freshman next year, regardless of whether you played as a way to incentivize, incentivize guys to play. And you know, most players did play. A couple opted out, but for the most part, everybody played, uh, which is what the NCAA wanted. And so for 2021, so this year we're in now, though those super seniors, as we'll call them, right? The guys who were seniors who played, they actually get to come back if they want and be seniors again. So those super seniors, they do not count against your 85 roster caps. You normally get 85 guys on your roster. For this year, they don't count. 
And let right. me just say, so, Bud, there's two of them on the Penn State roster, both in the defensive backfield, Jaquan Brisker, Tariq Castro-Fields, just for our listening audience, bringing them up to speed on that particular facet. So the max Penn State could carry then would be 87 because you get your normal 85 plus your two super seniors who are exempt. Here's the deal, though. Everybody gets that free year when they become a super senior. So this year, they don't count against the cap. But schools don't want to spend the money on this in the long term. And the schools I talk to say they do not think that we're going to get that cap relief for 22, for 23, for 24. So I don't know how many eligible super seniors Penn State might have for the class or, you know, for the 2022 season. So these would be guys right now, you know, who are, are like true seniors, right? I don't know how many they have, but Penn State's recruiting staff right now is having to figure this out and say, wait a second. Who do you think is probably going to go pro? Who might want to come back to us for a super senior season? Who would we want to come back? Because like you don't have to give it to the kid. I mean, the kid's guaranteed to have an extra year, but he ain't guaranteed to have it here, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's creating a major scholarship crunch because now if you got to count those into the 85, that is essentially one fewer high schooler you can take, assuming you're anywhere close to the max roster. And you know most teams are, are normally fairly close to that. So now you're looking at this, you're saying, shoot, if we want to take back four seniors who are, you know, who are good players for us, that's four fewer kids we can sign. It, I mean, it, it, in, in the simplest of terms. It's really uh, it's creating a continuing scholarship crunch. I believe I've seen you cite Penn State on at least one occasion about their approach this offseason. They are a program that did not dive in headfirst with the transfer portal through the first few offseasons. They have done that this time around. Five new scholarship players, four of them enrolled in January. Three of them have starting experience at the Power 5 level. And then they signed 16 high schoolers, seven of which are already on campus as early enrollees. But that is a much different allotment in terms of veterans versus newcomers to the college level. Uh, does Penn State kind of typify what you're talking about as, as, as far as programs and head coaches adapting? I, I, I think so, right? I mean, P- Penn State got several guys who are, you know, no doubt dudes who, who should be contributors for them in the portal. Like they may not be superstars, but they, they should – likely earn starting jobs, or at least if they don't earn starting jobs, it might even be a positive because that means somebody else has really stepped up at that position that who maybe you didn't expect to arrive you know, that early. I, I'm, I'm going to be interested in how programs use the portal to pitch playing time. For instance, if you were Penn State and you only signed, what, 16 high schoolers, you said? Yeah. That's pretty interesting in one year because then you can show a depth chart, which is a little bit less crowded potentially down the line because you didn't just take a class of 25. Look, we, we, we spent a lot of our scholarships on, on transfer kids. Those guys are going to be gone in a year or two. You're going to have a much easier path to playing time in your year two or year three, which, you know, some kids, they want immediate playing time, but others, you know, just early playing time tends to matter a little bit more. Most of the kids are pretty reasonable. They don't expect to go out and ball as a true freshman. Usually, um, uh, that's going to be interesting to see what happened. But Penn State is one of those examples. I mean, Oklahoma, Penn State, I know Florida took a, took a, a decent number. Florida State took like nine. Um, you're seeing, so, especially some of these new staffs that have never had a chance to meet these kids in person at all, like in any year, much less the most recent year, they went pretty portal heavy. And it's it's a trend across college football right now. Sean and I, it's a constant finger on the pulse of Penn State football. You zoom that lens out in a large way, and you're examining everything going on across the country on a daily basis. Can you give us the national perception from your viewpoint, of course, about Penn State football, that brand, 
here in early 2021, following that 0-5 start, following the four-game win streak, and of course, what's gone on this offseason where there's been a ton of personnel moves, coaching staff moves, offensive coordinator. Where do you think things are as the dust sort of settles here with spring camp around the corner? I, I think ultimately it's it should still be positive, right? Um, Penn State, to me, there's no doubt that there was a major motivational issue once they started out 0-2. I mean, if, if you, I was looking at this earlier, if you look at Bill Connolly's sort of post-game win expectancy, I mean, the, the the stats book says they outplayed Indiana. They just played some situations pretty poorly, right? Red zone, some special team stuff, some short yardage, some turnovers, which is a little bit less repeatable skill than moving the ball is. And they come off that game, then they lose Penn State. And it's hard to, to for, for the kids not to think, all right, the season's over. You know, because it was a shortened season anyway, your season was kind of make or break. Do you win the first two games or do you not? And that's, I don't want to imply that their games don't matter, but I definitely think that probably in the minds of some of those players, they thought, ah, you know, this is, this is silly. It's a COVID thing, right? We, we're, we talked to a lot of coaches this year who talked about motivation as a major problem. Like if you were a really good team, really good, it wasn't that hard to keep your guys motivated and have them do the right thing. But if you're a 19 year old, 20 year old kid, and you start out 0 and 2, and basically all your season goals are are done, and you mean bowl games may not even be a thing, whether or not you qualify for them, it's hard to keep those kids not going to a party or you know not not going out with their girlfriend and just standing your like stay in your door and play video games the entire time. Um, it, it's it's hard to 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 enforce that basically, and I think they probably had some of those issues. But ultimately, I I think there's certain teams you just kind of got to throw out 2020. James Franklin's track record at Penn State is really good. There's not a whole lot of teams out there who have had a better, like, you know, last half decade than Penn State has. I'll push back on one thing just in terms of the going out and partying because Penn State made it through this process. I think they had one positive COVID-19 test reported over the course of the season. They were one of only two Big Ten teams to play all their games. But I wanted to throw this your way. No one opted out during the season. And it was a big question I had. When you talk about starting 0-2, 0-3, 0-4, 0-5, is it stop being fun? You're in all these restrictions socially. There's no one else on campus. You can't see mom and dad. They had Micah Parsons step aside back in August, but once they kicked off, and even as the losses started to pile up, no one opted out. Did that surprise you at all? Because there were some serious spirals at programs across the country that did not start off well. I, you know, yes, I, I think it absolutely was surprising. I, on the old Barton and Bud podcast, which you know now we're doing cover three, I was like, look, is is Penn State going to quit here? Because they they came out. I forgot who they played after Ohio State, but it was. Maryland, Nebraska? and it was Maryland. ugly. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the thing was, to Penn State's credit, I I think you can kind of blame the Maryland game on the 0-2 start, right? But they rebounded. Like They they played hard down the stretch. They they seemed to click a little bit more. That The the effort level, uh, you know, I podcast the visual medium, but I'm doing my hand thing. It was like it started out <laughs> real high, and then that Maryland game was like, Oof, okay. like, And you wanted to see, were they going to rebound? Right, like, like, would they bounce back? And it seems like they they did. I, I think James Franklin and his staff do a nice job. You know, like, like everybody in that league, and basically everybody in the country except for Bama and maybe Clemson is is chasing Ohio State. But they, they're, I, I, I think they're a lot closer, you know, to their ceiling than their floor. And I think they have a chance to go up. 
when we look at this James Franklin staff, it has been shuffled a bit. A couple late departures with Tim Banks getting the, the Tennessee defensive coordinator job and Tyler Bowen getting an opportunity to join Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the second consecutive offseason now, bud, where there's this splashy move, James Franklin goes and gets this offensive coordinator. It's obviously attached to improvement at the quarterback spot, but overall, what do you think about that one? It, it was one that was quite shocking here locally for those who cover the team closely. You seem like you're such bounce around a bit, have success with different quarterbacks and different conferences. What did this move kind of telegraph to you about James Franklin's mindset? I, I, I think it, well, first of all, a couple of things. He, he's, he's different than, than Kirk was, right? I mean, they, like they're, they're not going to be quite as much run, 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 run and throw. Like, like you know, Minnesota – when, when, when he was there, I mean, they were a heavy run team, and then they then they would throw deep off off play action and, and, and the RPO stuff. Um, I, I I think Yurcich will spread the ball around more, and I think it's it's probably a, a sign to me that Penn State is serious about its offense moving a little bit more towards what the, the Ohio States and Bama's and those guys are doing the the ability to throw it around at a really high level. We we talked about this on Cover Three recently, and. We were debating, like, will teams go back to two tight end smash mouth stuff? And I said, look, two tight ends, maybe. Smash mouth? I, I don't think so for this reason. Every year, basically, in the history of college football, teams pass more than they ever have before. I mean, since basically the forward pass became legal. And now, like, the penalty for throwing the ball is less than it's ever been. I mean, you got two years ago, Tua, 33-3 and three touchdown interception ratio in, in league play. Last year, Mac Jones pretty similar like like your your elite teams are chucking the ball around with with almost kind of with impunity right they are not being penalized for this at all uh they're they're finding wide open guys they're, they're taking advantage of some of the you know some of the more generous college rules and i mean if if the standard now is to throw for you know, nine yards an attempt you got to be able to get there so you, you you need to you know up your receiver room, you need to up your quarterback room, and you need to be able to chuck the ball around because you're just not going to get there even with a really good run game. It's just efficiency wise, it's not the same. You need to kind of meet that standard. So I think that was a move that they made to say, okay, we we're looking around the country. We know we've got to get a lot better chucking the ball around. You just severely disappointed the Penn State fans out there. The segment that really wants the fullback back into the mix, uh, and I don't think your words are going to encourage them any further than, than with that. Um, I mean, you can throw the ball out of those formations. I just, I, I don't know if, if you know, it, nowadays a three-yard run is a lot worse than it used to be because now you're choosing to make a three-yard run instead of a, a pass where the, you know, the expected yards is a lot, a lot more than it used to be in the '90s or '80s or '70s. You say load up the receiver room, load up the quarterback room. Right now, you got Jahan Dotson back, one of the top returners at the position across college football. You had a, an emerging standout in Parker Washington last year, one of the top freshmen in the Big Ten at receiver. You signed three more four star wide receivers. They got a nice stockpile there at quarterback. The stockpile is depleted, if that's what you were going to call it. Will Levis has moved on to Kentucky. Micah Bowens, we hardly knew him. He's off to Oklahoma. Sean Clifford's the only quarterback in that room right now out of the three scholarship guys who has completed a college pass. He's played 20-plus college games at this point. A lot of fans, and, and I will say, Sean Fitz and I, a bit surprised that we're about to go towards spring camp and you know, there's not really that person that is clearly going to push him for the starting job. He was benched last year. He got back in. He did a better job protecting the football the last few games. 
What do you think about Penn State's quarterback play? Because that seems to be such a separating factor for them when you turn on the TV and watch these college football semifinals. And as you say, there's just such a high pedigree of passing games right now. Yeah, I I mean, look, I, I don't think Sean Clifford is a a bad player, but but I don't know. I mean, just in the games that I've watched, I don't watch every Penn State game, but they're you know they're premier team, so I, I watch a good number of them. He doesn't. I don't know that he has that that extra gear that that some of those guys have. Uh, but yet, like, would you describe Mac Jones as somebody who has incredible physical gifts? I I wouldn't. I mean, I, I grew up watching him. You know, I, I watched him grow up in Florida. I, I saw him play seven on seven several times. You know, each summer. And he was a good player, but he wasn't one of these guys that's like, oh, there's no doubt. Like he's he's a total stud, arm talent wise. Look, I think some of these schools have done a nice job of basically QB proofing, if I can steal a term, to, to like they're running a system to where it's it's almost plug and play. And look, the thing you plug in has got to be a really talented guy. There's no doubt. But I feel like there are certain schools out there right now that just keep it humming. And that's probably what Penn State is trying to build. With Clifford, it I just, man, I feel like at times he flashes, but I don't know if his flashes are super, super bright, you know, and then the consistency has not really been there to where you would want it, right? And you kind of want one of the others. Like, all right, just give me the super high. If the highs are real, real high, I'll deal with some of the lows. Or if you can just be a real solid, consistent every time. But it seems like it's a little bit too much up and down where sometimes the highs don't necessarily justify some of the lows, if, if that makes sense. I'm not trying to dog the kid, obviously, but, you know. 10 turnovers during the 0-5 start, two turnovers during the 4-0 finish uh, from Sean Clifford. And, and along the way, he lost his job and then got it back. And so it, it's it's a fascinating kind of case study right now with Sean Clifford because this is yet another offensive coordinator. And without a Will Levis even uh, involved, it just feels like so much for what Penn State is looking to accomplish is pinned on the ability to have him take the next step. But we're also talking about a 22-year-old quarterback. And how much growth is there? How much higher is that ceiling from what we've already seen through his time at Penn State? How do you find an elite quarterback? I, I, that's kind of the last question I wanted to throw you your way. It's not as simple anymore, but as, as finding that five-star and signing him because they get antsy, they go to another school. It almost feels like you're better off being the rebound program for some of these guys at this point. It, it does, yeah. And, and we were just working through our, some of our transfer ratings, which come out on Monday, if I can plug that on, on Absolutely. sports. and um you know, just some of my research shows you could get a superstar transfer quarterback. Whereas for the most part, most of your transfers at your non-quarterback positions are not stars, right? Like they're, they can be decent players. They can still get drafted, but we haven't had a, a non-quarterback transfer drafted in, in years. Um, I mean, it, it's just kind of one of those things. If, if you're a really good player and you're not a quarterback, you're typically starting or in line to start within short order. A quarterback is only one ball. And oftentimes, I think that's a harder position for schools and coaches to evaluate. It can be hard to figure out you know, who should be the starter. I mean, I, I know for a fact that, that Jimbo, back in, in, in the summer of 2013, was really kind of struggling with, do you go with Jameis or Jacob Coker? I mean, they both ended up winning national titles, but you know, Jameis was a much better player because I was covering the team at the time, and, and my guys who I trust – we're telling me like the internal dialogue is like, shit, like we thought it was going to be Jameis coming out of spring, but Coker is is playing really, really well. And, and, you know, it's pretty, pretty physically talented, et cetera. Um, I think one advancement in scouting recently has been to stop overestimating coaching. 
at the college level and specifically in terms of accuracy, right? A lot like, like I think it used to be you take a guy with huge tools and cool. We, we, we can get him to be more accurate. We, we, we can teach him to read a defense. And I think you can get a guy to be somewhat more accurate. Maybe if, if you improve his mechanics, some, if you work on his footwork, especially if he's not been coached a whole lot, but who you are is kind of who you are. I think more than a lot of coaches want to want to admit, and more than I think we probably wanted to admit as a scouting industry back in the day. Um, now we care a lot more about how you protect the ball, how accurate you are as far as your high school stats. I mean, you got to take into account who you have around you and who you're playing. So it's, it's relative to that. But the ability to put the ball in the money is something that I think is very hard to teach. And so we've tried to do a better job of that in recent years. And if you go back, and look at a lot of these quarterback busts in the recruiting rankings history. A lot of it is huge tools. Okay, coach thought he could develop them, could never get it. And we actually talked about this. Hackenberg had had a, had a lot of tools, right? But there was just the anticipation, the, the consistent accuracy, some of the movement in the pocket. You know, like I know he had difficult situations at times around him, but that could be an example. Like, is he a five-star if we re-rank him today as recruits? Like, if he came through today, I, I don't know, maybe. It's 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 a tough process. Coaches and scouts and general managers and so on have lost their jobs trying to figure out that process to bring in a quarterback. Yeah. And others have made a careers by finding the right guy um, at, at different levels of the sport. But last thing, and we'll leave you with this and we'll hope, hopefully get you back on before the season so you can maybe recalibrate. Um, but what right now are your realistic expectations for Penn State football in 2021? So I, I I think that I mean I don't necessarily think they're going to unseat Ohio State at the top, uh, but I mean if, if you can finish second in the East, if if you can you know kind of I know Michigan feels like they're going to be pretty good coming into the season. We'll we'll see about that. Indiana's another team with with high expectations, but I, I think Penn State can finish second in the East. They have is, is Georgia is it it's in in Happy Valley or is it in Georgia? They've got Auburn. They've got Auburn. Oh, Auburn. Excuse me. Yeah. My bad. They've got Auburn um, here, and they open on the road at Wisconsin. So it's an interesting September, to say the least. We, we just had Bill Connolly on cover three, and, and he was basically showing me exactly what Wisconsin is coming back. It's crazy. Like, Wisconsin's going to open up with a very, very good defense and, and a pretty experienced offense. Uh, I mean, I, am I crazy to think nine and three is is a pretty solid season in a schedule where you have Auburn in the non-conference and, and you have to start out at Wisconsin? I don't know. May, maybe, that's, maybe that's too high. Maybe that's too low, depending on – on what you think, but I, I'm I'm excited to watch Penn State this year. I, I I think they do a good job there. Nine wins would have felt like a pretty big step back last year if it was a normal season. After eleven wins was starting to become common. Now I'm not sure how nine wins would be viewed a nine and three season, depending on what awaited in the postseason. Probably not still enough. Ohio State remains that measuring stick, and everybody in the Big Ten, as you know, Bud, having a really hard time trying to keep up uh, with what they've got cooking in Columbus. But we They're appreciate just on a different it. level right they now. They are right yeah, now. That, that's, it's, it's a problem that James Franklin shares with, with the 12 other coaching staffs uh, in his conference and across college football. Um, so we'll have to figure that out as things move along. But definitely listen to Bud. If you enjoyed what you heard here, the Cover 3 podcast is great. Check out all of his work uh, on 24-7 Sports as a national analyst. He was a huge pickup for us early in 2020 and uh, a year later. Hopefully you're enjoying the ride here at 24-7 Sports with us, bud. I Absolutely, man. It, it, it's been awesome. You know, weird with the pandemic, obviously, but very happy to be here. And it's it, it's the place to be. All right. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks again for the time. See you, Tyler. Insightful stuff, as always, from Bud Elliott. 
We will be back with you next week as Sean and myself bring you the latest in Penn State football and recruiting news. We've got you covered up on lines247.com. And I got to mention a great deal we've got going on as well. 50% off annual VIP membership. And that comes with CBS All Access. A great partnership and a great opportunity for those of you to upgrade from a monthly subscription or to climb on board as new annual VIP subscribers. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and drop your five-star rating and five-star mailbag question. We look forward to reading those in the weeks ahead and getting to as many as possible uh, in the future episodes. We'll talk to you next week. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thank you so much, as always, for listening.